Research Briefs podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Streveler, coming to you from the School of Engineering Education at Purdue University. The goal of Research Briefs is to expand the boundaries of engineering education research. In these podcasts, we'll speak to researchers about new theories, new methods, and new findings in engineering education research. My guest today on Research Briefs is Dr. Robin Adams, Professor of Engineering Education at Purdue University. Robin was part of the first cohort of faculty hired after Purdue's PhD program in engineering education was established, and she was instrumental in creating courses and procedures in the programs. I should say that Robin has been a colleague and friend of mine for almost 20 years, and she was an important reason that I came to Purdue myself. So it's fun having a chance to speak with her, and Robin knows all the old, those are old stories about how we both came here. But welcome to Research Briefs, Robin. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I was excited to do this. So um, I know you well mm-hmm. and know a bit of your story, but are not all of our listeners are as lucky as me. So can you provide us a little bit of context about how you got into engineering education research? Um, so I will admit, it's like now when I look back in time and think, well, I've been in this for almost 30 years. Where did the time go? <laughs> <clears throat> but um, I was, I got a you know degree in mechanical engineering, worked in Silicon Valley in electronics, go figure. Um, and as for those who know me, I get bored easily, and so I'd been there for a while and decided I need something that's more of a challenge and was talking with colleagues, and they said, well, what about a master's in material science, and uh, ended up at the University of Washington, and that was the game changer. So, you know, one of the things they do is they have you go and meet the faculty. I met Gretchen Kalanji. I talked about some things that I had done in the summer at an Ocean Awareness Day camp, and she went, hmm. Um, are you interested in engineering education? And of course, at that point, I went, "What? What's that? What's that?" <laughs> and and that was the that was the beginning. That was the turning point. And so, for those of you who don't know, Gretchen Kalanji. Um, was the PI for the Excel Coalition, so the NSF um, funded, I don't know, the number's always a little bit wonky, but Mm -hmm. five-ish coalitions, and and University of Washington was one of them. And so um, with her, I got to be involved in a lot of different kinds of things, doing assessment, developing curricula, doing SAR technology camps, doing retention studies, you know, trying to evaluate the, you know, the first-year engineering or first-year design kind of courses. Um, got did more. you know then that you were interested in design or did... Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I, I knew I was interested in design, but I don't know if I had, like, big D design identity in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I, as a little kid, I was always making things and poking around and... Um, thought I would build houses under the ocean and then live in them, which was the reason why somebody said I should be a mechanical engineer. 
I don't know. That's a head scratcher. Um, and then when I went into industry, I was a designer and then I became the senior designer. So it was, a, it was an actual title mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had a sort of strange, a typical, I think, design role in the sense of I did a lot of one-offs that we made, you know, bajillions of, you know, so I worked with Motorola and IBM and National Semiconductor and Apple and cardiac pacemakers and swatch watches and um, and I was a designer and when Gretchen met me I think one of the things that intrigued her is that I kind of had this design story mm-hmm. and a lot of the things that we were doing in Excel our storyline was integrating design throughout the experience and it was only really over time that I started to realize it was my thing mm-hmm. it was the thing that I study it's the thing how I am it's the thing that I teach and it gives me lots of flexibility mm-hmm. Sometimes I find with different identities that somebody has to remind me <laughs> that I have that identity because it's so inward. You don't, yeah. you're not even aware of it. And then someone says, "You do this," and it's like, really? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I was, I think as a kid, I was the artsy design type, mm-hmm. you know, and then in industry, I was sort of an engineering design type, and, and now I'm the sort of esoteric y, you know, design thinking, philosophy, researchy type. So mm-hmm. it's sort of, it's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. It's kept all those pieces, but it's changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And then when I met you, you were at the Center for the Advancement of Engineering Education at. University of Washington. So from Excel, um, somewhere at the end of the Excel grant, um, Denise Detton came and she was our dean and she recruited Cindy Atman from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I was going to go like not Penn State, the other P, Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh. Um, And she started the Center for the uh, Engineering Learning and Teaching work helped mm-hmm. and I got involved with them and that sort of even pushed the design story more for those of you who know Cindy that's her big area of design um, and through Kelt we wrote the center grant mm-hmm. and um, part of our storylines intersecting were um, creating these opportunities for bringing faculty into doing engineering education research mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of crossover there. And I think you were advisor on our center and I was, was an advisor on your yep, project. Yep, and we had of lots cross, of great conversations. Cross-pollination. <laughs> yes, we did. <clears throat> yes. So um, then the department... Which was the department started up here and... Um, yeah. You so, yeah, I had a many late-night... Um, cocktail hours with Kamiar Hagigi, who was the the original head of the program when it went into transition and was the big architect architect around it. Um, at FIE and SAE, we hook up. He's like, when do you have time? At the end of the day. So all these late night cocktail meetings and got recruited, mm-hmm. you know, and it seemed like a really nice opportunity to you know, expand in that building capacity place. And then the other storyline that it had for me was the interdisciplinary thing. So, mm-hmm. as you might imagine, that's another part of my identity. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Quirky path. Quirky path. It's the thing that means you're here. <laughs> Welcome to the community. You have a quirky path. We get you. All now, although now there's some people that don't have a quirky path anymore, which kind of freaks me out. Yeah, but it still has some quirky. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, because I remember the first 
cohort, we asked them just kind of tell a little bit about that story and why they came here. And as I listened, I was hearing, it's the thing that I never knew I was always looking forward, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's still the same, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's still the same. It was maybe the same for us and the same for this group. And I think it's the same for the people who come to us. And mm-hmm. At some point it will change. Yeah. And that will be an interesting moment. Yes. Yes. Um, so I've asked you today not to speak about design, which is <laughs> kind of weird, but um, there's a method called photo elicitation that I'm just intrigued by, and I learned about it first from you, and I you've done it way more than me. <laughs> so um, that's what we're going to talk about today, um, mainly. Yeah. So could you start by telling people what photo elicitation is, kind of a definition? Well, the nice thing is, is photo elicitation is actually like a couple big cues. It involves photos, (laughs) (laughs) and you use the photos to elicit what knowledge people have about something. Um, And that knowledge could also be identity. It's not knowledge about, you know, like physics. It's Mm -hmm. just knowledge very broadly defined. Not necessarily factual knowledge. Not necessarily factual knowledge. It's particularly good when you're trying to get at kind of abstract knowledge or very tacit knowledge, that kind of knowledge where... You need something to pull it up from your memory to be able to talk about it and explain what it means and why it's important. Um, And so it's a qualitative research method. You either bring photos or you have people bring their own photos. And then the interview protocol is a semi-structured protocol that essentially starts with what is it that this image represents for you? Mm -hmm. And then a number of probes going, you know, can you say more? Why is that important for you? How does that relate to whatever? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I've I've used it for a number of times. Um, The key idea is that the image helps elicit you know, the image and itself is sort of like, don't don't get caught up in the image. Right. <laughs> it's the image elicits. And so it's really good at helping people conceptualize their knowledge, um, conceptualize their pathways, all these types of things that are so deeply embedded that they're hard to get to. Mm-hmm. And you used this um, about... 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when was it that you first used it? So, um, as part of Excel, as you might imagine, um, a lot of the evaluation questions we're trying to get at, how has your understanding of engineering changed? And, you know, as a, as a good graduate student, I was like, well, I'll just come up with a good question and see how they answer it. And what happens is they say, engineering is the application of math and science to do something good. And the do something good might differ, but it sort of had that quality. And I was working with Sally Fincher, and she was also doing um, kind of these, one of these engineering education researcher bring faculty in things in Sweden. And so maybe there's, maybe we just, this could be an interesting diversion. Yes. (laughs) Because Sally's from University of Kent, right, in the UK. Mm Mm-hmm. How was she, and the Sweden, was this the one at Uppsala? It was at Uppsala with Arnold Pierce and Matt Daniels. Okay. And Sally Fincher, um, I think, you know, if you're going to sort of put a pin in a history, Sally Fincher with Marion Petrie did these... 
computer science education research programs mm-hmm. with faculty to bring them into research. And so they were sort of my model in many mm-hmm. ways for what I did with the Institute. And so mm-hmm. they came before me. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that they did that was unique was that they would sort of hook into a big question. And for the Swedish group, it was sort of what's engineering. And they would put together a kit. And the kit had a couple of different instruments. And the idea was that each person involved in this project would go and collect data at their school. Um, They could, and then sort of that would go into a big repository and everybody could see everybody's data. And, you know, you could just focus on your data. You could focus on, you know, all the data that had to do with, you know, part X of the kit. Um, And so it was collectively created and collectively analyzed. And there's all these neat cross conversations. And so Mm -hmm. they were doing it in Sweden and they engaged, um, faculty from, they were trying to sort of get all the Swedish universities, and we were playing around with this What's Engineering, and Sally and I were talking, and I said, well, you know, if you ask people what they think engineering is, you get this kind of like slogany kind of answer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we puzzled and puzzled, and um, at one point, I kind of had this aha moment of like, well, what what's something that helps people talk about stuff that they don't have words for really easily? Um, And I was like, pictures, you know, picture tells a thousand words kind of thing. And both of us started poking around and we're like, oh, there's this photo elicitation technique that's been around, well, probably before the 1950s, but that was the first thing that we found. And we thought, aha, we think we found something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. And so that was kind of like the first instantiation. And so that was like 2000 and, I don't know, seven as a project. Mm Mm-hmm. And you've continued to use it. I continue to use it. And so for that project, we were trying to get at what they thought is engineering. And I can share some examples from that. Um, I used it um, on a longitudinal study in terms of the cross-disciplinarity idea. And so what people understand about that idea. Um, I looked at identity and identity formation in those spaces because one of the nice things photo elicitation allows you to do, not just get at sort of conceptual understanding, but the link between conceptual understanding and identity. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of in the early phases of when people were really trying to dig into identity. Um, we've used it recently mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of following up with all those folks who were involved in our um, centers mm-hmm. on engineering and education research and going back and getting their stories about their experiences, mm-hmm. their conceptual understanding, um, the sort of paradigm shifts that they've had mm-hmm. and all those types of things. And so it's a, it's kind of one of my favorite go-to techniques. Yes. Because yes. I tend to play in these spaces where right and wrong answers aren't really what it is, but like what meaning do these have for right. you and how does that shape what you do? Right. So when we were doing this joint study, um, I know the students that were interviewing people said that the folks who we were interviewed said they spent a lot of time figuring out the pictures (laughs) because we asked them to bring the pictures. And I think you have other work that kind of triangulated with that, some prior work, right? Yeah, and so um, when we were piloting some of those ideas... Sean Jordan and Shanna Daly were working with me and we were looking into this idea and we said, well, okay, well, let's 
explore some of these things. You know, some people might look at this and go, yeah, it's just people talking about stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you really get at? And, Mm -hmm. you know, are people really being thoughtful about the images that they bring? And we did some work on that. And we also included focus groups and interviews and we had them talk about how did they go about finding these things? And they would spend, even if they went on Google, they would spend 20 plus minutes trying to find the thing that captured the idea in their head that they didn't have words for. So it was really good at getting it metaphors um, or they would go like, oh, there's a there's a photo that reminds me of a memory that I want to talk about that's somewhere in my album. And, you know, we hear these stories of digging through the closet and trying to find that photo. And so um, for Shanna, that photo was... Um, a picture of her, the side of their house and her dad's car parked up kind of in the, in the driveway. And, you know, you might go like, oh, car, you know, this is about cars. And it had nothing to do with cars. (laughs) It had to do with her memory of uh, a time when her dad was trying to fix something that was either on the roof or something like that. And the ladder that they had wasn't tall enough. And so, you know, he didn't want to go buy a new ladder. He wanted to sort of design in the moment. And so he backed up the car to the wall of the house, opened the trunk, put the ladder in the trunk, and then secured it. (laughs) I don't know how safe it was, but secured it, and then was able to resolve the thing. And so she talked about ingenuity and how engineering is about ingenuity, which is kind of much more nuanced than application of math and science to do stuff. Right, right. In fact, I'm not entirely sure where the application of math and science was in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so uh, I forget where I was going with that, but um, so we tried it out and piloted it to, to sort of learn, you know, how thoughtful are the decisions that go behind finding these photos. And from the work I did with Sally, we provided photos versus having people bring photos because we thought that would be way too hard to manage. Um, We did a similar kind of thing. We were like, okay, so one of the things that you want to do when you provide a photo is you want to have a photo that's just a weensy bit off, like a little skewed, because you don't want to take a picture of an engineering classroom and go, yeah, that's a classroom, because it doesn't elicit, it just sort of ends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you want to give something a little off. And so the image, one of the images that we gave was like a 1950s black and white (laughs) image of Northrop or Grumman. I can't remember which company. And it was these three white guys behind it, you know, a table and they're all wearing their white shirts and the little skinny black ties and the little cigarette ashtrays on the table. And there's this graph up on the wall and they're talking and you and me might look at that and go, uh, you know, talk about the gendered aspects of it, talk about representativeness, um, talk about other things kind of associated with the 50s. And the students who don't have that memory, this was actually unfamiliar to them. They would be like, oh, they would talk about collaboration and communication and teamwork and problem solving together and the value of these representations to help you articulate what's going on. You know, like, oh, yeah. So we were a little bit surprised we didn't get the gender thing, but it actually was feedback that we skewed the photo enough mm-hmm. that it got them talking mm-hmm. versus just sort of that's a whatever and I don't need to say anything mm-hmm. more. So would there be general guidelines 
or advice you would give to people who want to try doing photo elicitation? Yeah, there's a lot of things to think about. I mean, some of it is specifically about how to think about the photos, whether you're not you provide photos or ask them to bring photos is a little bit about what you're trying to get at. And then probably some advice about just the experience of it, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it feels very open ended and a little off into the unknown. And if you've never done anything like that, you might think that it's too subjective or too open or too unstructured or too fill in the blank, but just too uncomfortable is the end of the is what's really going on. Right. Um, and in that case, one of the things we did is we piloted it in our group. And what you do is you get this opportunity to experience for yourself. What's it like finding a photo? What's it like, you know, the rationale behind why that photo and what is it that you wanted to talk about? And why is that so important to you? The interview protocol is super important in terms of like, what is a set of questions that keep bringing you back in a very open space to a very narrow and targeted focus? Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to get at this phenomenon, not everything else. Right. Um, and then just debriefing on that and talking about your own experiences with that and how it kind of takes on a story quality that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And it turns an interview into something that's less about being a guinea pig and more about being authentic and telling your story. So that helps a lot. Um in terms of thinking about the photos and whether or not you want to bring in photos or have people bring their own photos, um, if there's something that, an idea that you want to get at, bringing in photos allows there to be some consistency um, across the types of things that you're having everybody engage with, but then you have to really pilot that photo. It mm-hmm. has to, again, like have that just a little bit of familiar but unfamiliar quality um, that gets people targeted to that particular phenomenon. The, the cool thing when you have people bring their own photos, um, and some of the reasons you might not do that is you might feel that that starts to be really complicated. But these days with the internet, it's actually it's really easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, two of the students who worked for me on, on one of our projects wrote a paper for ASE, and I think it's 2014, Kristen Hatton and Tiago Foran, and they talked about some of this. So if you want more information, I'll just shout out to that, read the paper. Um, but they talked about... And we can about, put a link to it oh, on good. the Yay. website. Yeah, because we showed some of the examples, and one of the things that happens um, when you allow people to bring their own photos, it changes that subject researcher dynamic. Um, the, uh, the subjects have agency and freedom to bring the thing that has meaning for them. And, you know, whereas compared if you brought something, they'll be going, you know, they'll, there'll be a little bit of this quality of like, is that what you were looking for? Did I say what you were looking for? Um, you know, and so it gives them agency to talk about things. Um, and sometimes, for example, in the work that I do, um, you know, for the cross-disciplinary project, for example, these are not things that people might feel comfortable talking about with people. I mean, not that they're they're not horribly, horribly sensitive, but they tend to be emotional. And um, the photos become a way to for them to talk about something that 
perhaps wouldn't be as accessible in a normal format. And so I'm remembering one of the photos uh, one of the people brought, and I remembered it wrong, but I went and looked back like, what was that photo? (laughs) And it was a picture of a monk sitting at a riverbed with a bunch of tigers, and he's sort of petting the tigers. And I was like, okay, so what is it that this photo represents to you about cross-disciplinary work? And, and he's like, he goes, this is what I feel like. This is what I feel like when I'm in those moments, on those teams, working with those people, that there's just all these politics and all these tensions and all these sort of walls that people have about this kind of work, you know, and, and I often find myself in this, you know, monk calming the dynamics so that we can work together better. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a question that I would have asked or a photo that I would have brought that would have allowed me to hear that. Um, and at the same time, knowing that that is one of the things that people experience about that kind of work, this sort of incredibly emotional, charged, paradigm shifting thing. So those are some key pieces of yes. advice. Well, it's a it's a wonderful method that that I love too. That I'm that's why I went to ask you about it. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, it's, it's fun. fascinating what people will say if mm-hmm. you give them enough of an opening. And then, really, your job is to keep bringing them back to the phenomenon. So your probes become the big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so why is that important for you? You've talked about collaboration. What does that mean for you? Can you give me an example? Right. Right. So it just becomes the probes. Well, I, I want to ask a final question that takes advantage of you being in the community for a long time. Um, let's say there are listeners that are fairly new to the community or not even in the community yet. What advice might you give them for entering the community? Or <laughs> I think... Um so Rich Felder and I did an editorial, and, and one of the things that was in that editorial were, you know, that there's a lot of different hats you can wear in this community, you know, and I know you and Carl have done work in terms of understanding those hats in terms of educational research hats, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, all those different hats mean that there's a bunch of different pathways, you know, you don't, this isn't a one-size-fits-all community, um, and so, you know, if you've never done this before, start small, mm-hmm. <laughs> start really small, you know, and think about a class or a program and what's something that you really want to understand about it, you know, and find some people who you can have conversations with. Um, it would be excellent to find a collaborator at that phase, but that might be actually a little too soon. So just find somebody you can go have a coffee conversation, you know, and that person will be able to hear what you're saying and make connections and then maybe that becomes a jumping off point for you know part two and part three um i think so when i think about some of those roles it's like you know maybe you just really want to be a good teacher maybe you maybe you're the innovator person you know you just always want to try new things or develop new things or maybe you're the provocateur like you're kind of always poking at the status quo and you're like why are we doing it that way or maybe you see your classroom or your program as a laboratory it's like how would you go about studying it so those are just some of the ways Mm -hmm. (laughs) um the other one is that this is a huge play space you know 
there are so many different opportunities and kind of the first step is to try something and then go to a conference and talk about it with like-minded folks. There's good conferences. Um, And this is a community that's super, super friendly. This is a community that has had their own experiences of feeling isolated or, you know, maybe not well understood by their colleagues, (laughs) putting it in a nice way. Um, And they almost go out of their way to be very welcoming and be very engaging and sit down with folks. Um, You know, we both have talked about this, that when we go to, you know, ASE and FIE, for example, it's sort of hard to make it down the hallway Mm -hmm. because as a community, we're like, oh, you want to talk about this? Sure, let's go sit down and talk. Um, And I don't know if I quite get that in other communities. Um, So start, engage, think small. (laughs) Those are probably key things that I would go with. Well, again, some of the references that you discussed today, particularly the uh, paper on photo elicitation, we will be sure to have that on the uh, website with the uh, podcast. Sure. And we hope that these podcasts also can be kind of a, 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 the beginning of a conversation for some of those folks that are the peripheral participators. That well, might- and uh, we bring uh, the photo project into the first day of many of our classes. So in my design class, I'll say bring an image of design and then people bring in all sorts of stuff and then that becomes a place to talk about stuff. So it's also a technique Mm -hmm. that you can use in the classroom and just by using it in the classroom, you start to get an insight of how valuable it could be as a research method. So, Excellent. That's a great idea. Wonderful. Well, Robin, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you, Ruth. I I enjoyed doing this. It was fun kind of getting back into, like, why did I end up down this pathway with photo elicitation in the first place? (laughs) Ah, I was puzzling because I couldn't get at something I really wanted Mm -hmm. to get at. Mm -hmm. The most fun things to find out about are often the hardest to find out about. This is a (laughs) a good method for doing that. Yeah. Research Briefs is produced by the School of Engineering Education at Purdue. Thank you to Patrick Vogt for composing our theme music. A transcript of this podcast can be found by Googling Purdue Engineering Education Podcast. And please check out my blog, ruthstreveler.wordpress.com.